Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars. But it's mostly about Star Wars. So, Kevin, remember what you said last week? Last week, I said this week, we're going to talk about Maul. And remember how I said it was your homework? Yes. And what did you do? I did the homework. All right. So, let's get into it. I did the research. I made the notes. And uh, we're going to talk about the whole story arc of Maul. Yeah, and for those of you who are really vague on who Maul is, I know we've talked about him several times. He's the guy with horns coming out of his head, a red and black face, and really good uh, lightsaber fighter. He's got dual sabers, or like the one long saber that's got sabers at the end. What are, What's that called? It's a dual-bladed saber. Okay. We had it right the first time. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, and he his story spans everything from... You know, episode one of the prequel trilogy, he's in Clone Wars, he's in Rebels, he's in Solo, he's in... That's it. But his story spans a whole bunch of different media, and uh, and he just keeps popping up, and he's just... He's one of the most interesting and intricate characters uh, that was really developed in sort of the, the uh, post-original trilogy time. Right, and, and I think it's important to note that, like, what he might be most famous for in episode one phantom menace is not what makes him an interesting character that's right and his like his appearance in episode one was um kind of it was an awesome kind of shocking surprise and it introduced a whole new era of lightsaber combat that was not part of the original trilogy in fact mark hamill was actually really kind of ticked off uh, that they let them have that kind of lightsaber fight in episode one because that was the way he always wanted to to do lightsabers and uh, he wasn't allowed to do that in the original trilogy. And then George Lucas changed his mind later on. Um, but yeah, he, um, you know, he's not really ultimately best known for that. But that's those couple of scenes that he's in in episode one are set up for his whole story. And his story arc has been going, you know, his, the, his last appearance in new media was in episode seven, your season seven of Clone Wars, you know, just two weeks ago. Right. So um, his story is wrapped up now. Uh, we're probably not going to see him in anything new. Probably. I think we'll totally see more about him when they get around to doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Do you think? Yeah. I don't know, though, because the whole time during that Obi-Wan Kenobi series, he thinks Obi-Wan's dead. And we'll get into why. But I, I'm not so sure that he's going to turn up that much in that unless they do some like sort of tangential thing. But remember, he and Obi-Wan's paths do not cross during that period. That is true. All right. Why don't we start from the beginning? So let's start from the beginning. So so Maul starts out and this is sort of stuff that's off screen. That's been it is in Legends, but it's in comic books and, and some other things. And, and a lot of that we're not going to cover. But just to, to give his like his true origin, he is the son of Mother Talzin. Right, the weird witch lady from that planet. That the that, so he's from Dathomir. Uh, he's from the planet of the Night Sisters, and if you guys remember the Night Sisters, Mother Talzin, Asajj Ventress is a Night Sister, and they have this sort of ongoing war with. Um, well, they they're sort of buddies with the Sith for a while, and then they end up in a war with them, and then they end up getting slaughtered by them. And at the time that Maul was born, Mother Talzin was actually working with Darth Sidious, and she was they were teaching each other various things because. The, the Night Sisters use a form of the Force that they call dark magic. Um, it's not really truly dark side, nor is it light side. It's something different, and it's something special that only exists on Dathomir. But um, 
uh, Mother Talzin and Sidious were working together, and Mother Talzin wanted to be his apprentice. And then she had a son, and he detected such force potential in her son that he just took her son away from her and raised him as his apprentice and sort of left her in the lurch. Cool guy. Well, but, I mean, that's the same thing the Jedi do. Except, like, they don't trick the moms so much or whatever in saying, oh, yeah, maybe you might be my apprentice. But, yeah, no, the Jedi come for the younglings. So. Yeah, no. I mean. Yeah. No, this it's, is what you do when you're going to train someone in the Force. That's right. And so um, so basically Maul, who was born with a different name uh, who and does not remember his birth name, is only ever known as Maul. Um, he has two brothers, and they become relevant. Um, I can't remember the one, the one brother's name, but his other brother is Savage Opress, who uh, we meet later on in this story. Um, but he basically lives his you know youth and... You know, up till he's in probably his late 20s uh, as Darth Sidious' apprentice. And then we get our first view of him on screen in episode one, The Phantom Menace. Right. And, and we see him and he's just kind of this really talented swordsman. Uh, he looks far more um, evil than any of the bad guys that we've ever seen before, really. Even more so than the Emperor. So, yeah, we, we know this is a bad guy. That's right. And he first shows up and, you know, he only has like three lines in that movie. And it's, it's interesting the you know, in the movie, the the actor who does his physical work is a, a guy named Ray Park, who um, worked. He did the work in episode one. He's also um, the uh, he did a motion capture in Clone Wars season seven. And then other than that, he's not. But the voice of of uh, of Maul for the three lines that he has is actually voiced by a different person, which is pretty wild. Isn't it the guy who's in Couples Retreat? Yeah, it's Peter, and I can't pronounce his last name, Seraph something. Um, but yeah, and, and he, he's done a few other things since then. But yeah, so he voices his lines. And basically his only line is um, something along lines of, uh, at last we'll reveal ourselves to the Jedi, at last we'll have our revenge. And this is sort of the beginning of Darth Sidious's take down the Jedi plan, that he starts by revealing that there is in fact a Sith, and we first see Maul in that movie when he fights Qui-Gon very briefly on Tatooine while he's looking for, I guess he sends him to find, he sends him to find Amidala, the Queen of Naboo, right? And that fight ends in a draw. And then later, um, he fights Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan on Naboo in what is, in, you can check me on this, but I think is probably the best lightsaber battle in all of Star Wars. Definitely the best one in the movies. I would say that what we saw in the last couple of episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars are awfully good, though. Yeah. And interestingly, same actor, right, doing doing motion capture on right. that. Also, you used the word revenge. And I think whenever I think of Maul, I think of his just thirst for revenge. It is a running theme. The guy cannot get enough of it. He is never happy until he vanquishes and not even vanquish he needs to like make his enemies feel pain it's not about you know him accomplishing his goals he's got to take someone down while he does it that's right and and you know his quest for vengeance is sort of the undercurrent of his whole story it starts out with vengeance against the jedi it later becomes vengeance against the sith and then he very specifically targets vengeance against obi-wan kenobi and he we'll... did cut him in half well yeah and that's sort of the next step in his journey is um, in the in the fight on um, in the hangar on 
uh, Naboo, he does manage to kill Qui-Gon Jinn, which is quite an achievement. Qui-Gon is a fairly accomplished Jedi master. Though, to be fair, this is sort of the first time the Jedi have had a legitimate opponent who can use the Force, kind of in, in the lifetime of all the Jedi, including Yoda. Um, but uh, he defeats Qui-Gon, kills him, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi using a little touch of anger, I would say. Yeah, by far. He, he dips a toe in the dark side yeah, right there. Obi-Wan dabbles in the dark side almost every time he encounters Maul, which is a theme that Maul kind of plays on. Uh, Obi-Wan cuts him in half and he falls down a bottomless pit. Yeah, and to most viewers, you think, oh, you fall down a bottomless pit, that's your doom. If you live in a galaxy far, far away, you have a very good chance of surviving a fall down what appears to be a bottomless pit. That's true. Though, to be fair, being cut in half and falling down a bottomless pit, you have to be pretty talented to survive that. Right, right. You got to be strong with the dark side there. And that's really, he goes to a place of just absolute hatred of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and that sustains him for uh, long enough for him to uh, survive that fall. So that's sort of the beginning of his story. And, and then, you know, after he apparently dies there, the Jedi believe he's dead. Uh, Darth Sidious believes he's dead. And this and that's about the point where Darth Sidious takes on Dooku as an apprentice. Right. And for the Jedi who are acting very foolishly at, at the end of Phantom Menace, they think that maybe they killed the Sith, but they don't know if they killed the Master or the Apprentice. And then we get that, you know, ominous side profile of Palpatine um, to, you know, suggest that not so much. Yeah. 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 That was one of the, like, most unsubtle, subtle things that Lucas did in the whole series. But it was kind of important to non, you know, like Star Wars nerds like us that uh, that that just be made clear there. Um, so after that, it you know, and this is this is actually an interesting thing that happens both to Maul and evidently to Luke Skywalker's hand and lightsaber. When you fall down, when you're when you're garbage and you fall down a bottomless pit, you end up somehow being collected at the bottom of that pit and taken to a garbage dump. And in the case of Maul, his body ends up on a garbage barge and he 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 gets to a planet called uh, Lotho Minor. And Lotho Minor is basically just a giant garbage pit. And Yeah, and while on Lotho Minor, for some reason and, and somehow, he manages to construct for himself um, basically like a spider abdomen and six legs that are mechanical and robotic. And he goes insane. And he lives there for 10 years. Wow. So is he insane because he's survived a fall down a bottomless pit, has been cut in half? Or is he insane because he's always been in tune with the dark side for so long? Um, I would I would surmise that he is insane because he survived an in- a crazy ordeal ended up waking up on a garbage planet, <laughs> turned himself into a half-man, half-spider, and couldn't leave the garbage planet to get his revenge. And somewhere in the 10 years that he's there, he goes a little cuckoo. Yeah. So one of the things about Sith Lords or, or folks that are really, really strong with the dark side of the Force is that they can feed on the dark side of the Force in lieu of sleep or actual food. So I'm assuming he's doing that and then eating bits of garbage. Yeah. That could make him crazy, too. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because even Bane really didn't spend, like, he, he spent some time from time to time just, like, feeding on the dark side. But even Bane didn't spend that much, like, 10 years straight just living off the dark side and scraps of food. 
Yeah, that that's too much. It like is. three or four weeks tops, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, while he's living on, you know, Garbage Planet, you know, like a whole bunch of things are happening in the galaxy. The Clone Wars start. The Clone Wars are underway. Um, and, um, you know, among among the several things that happen sort of topside in the rest of the, in, in the rest of the galaxy, Count Dooku has as his apprentice uh, Asajj Ventress, right? And eventually Sidious decides that Ventress is too powerful and too big of a risk to him. So he orders Dooku to kill her. Dooku fails to kill her. She goes back home to Mother Talzin. Mother Talzin tricks Dooku into taking a new apprentice, creates Savage Press, right? If you remember that story. Right, And you remember how that goes? Yeah, so uh, in order for Savage Press to kind of move forward, he is protected by his other brother, right? That's right. Yeah, and then he gets like mega juiced up with magic. That's right. The Night Sisters, like, they give him like magic steroids. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. No. And so then he is supposed to be a secret assassin and kill Dooku. And then when the time comes, he sort of turns on both Dooku and Ventress. Because he, he spends some time with Dooku. He learns some things. He gets a lightsaber. He's never truly a Darth. Dooku's thinking about him as an apprentice. And then that whole thing falls apart when he and Asajj are supposed to assassinate Dooku. And then he decides not to do that. And he runs off uh, on his own. And when he he ends up running off on his own, he comes back to Mother Talzin and she gives him a new mess, uh, a new mission. And that new mission is to find his brother. And she tells him that he has a blood brother, Maul. And she gives him a little talisman and says, follow the green magic of this thing and it will take you to your brother. That's your next move. Right. And Savage Press has a little bit of guilt because he's already lost the other brother. So he, he feels this like desire. He's got to find Maul. That's right. Yeah, because in in his like getting juiced up, he ends up killing his his blood his other blood brother, right? And that's why I don't remember his name because it doesn't matter. He ends up he's just a pawn. And he gets killed. Um, and so, if, do you remember where he remember the thing with the with the snake guy? I do not. Okay, so his his talisman leads him to Lotho Minor, and he encounters this like snake thing. I think it's called an anaconda. And it's a snake that talks. Okay. And the snake that talks says, "I'm gonna like lead you to the guy you're looking for," but what he really is is Maul's agent on the planet that leads um, sentient beings to Maul's lair to be killed for Maul to eat. I remember that right? now, yeah. And then he's like, I get the leftovers, right? And so Savage is like, okie dokie. And then uh, he drops down into Maul's lair, does not get killed by Maul. He kills the Anaconda because that dude deserves it. Um, and then he kind of talks Maul, like he talks to Maul, and Maul is just ranting and raving about vengeance and Kenobi and, and all this. And he's constantly stuff. muttering to himself. Yeah, he's, he's off the rails. Very, very insane, right? And so um, Opress manages to sort of subdue him and says, all right, buddy, I'm going to take care of you, and throws him in a shuttle and takes him back to Mother Talzin, right? And there, Mother Talzin does some magic on him. And this is, remember, this is after now uh, Grievous and Dooku have slaughtered basically all of the Night Sisters, and Mother Talzin's the only one left. Right, right. So she's she's got this, like, sense of family where before she kind of felt like the men of the planet were, like, a little bit more pawns, but now she's got, like, nothing left. So she's all in on Maul and Savage Press. That's right. And she's hoping that they're her, like, her tools of revenge. Revenge is a big thing to the to the uh, the Night Sisters and the Night Brothers and the people of Dathomir. They, they do dig the revenge. All right. I, I mean, if you kind of look at all of their stories, yeah, they, they all have a good reason for revenge. But if you think about revenge on the whole, it's really one of those things that's kind of 
pointless. And if you can find a way to move past being in the revenge mode, you will be so much more happy and successful. Yeah. So happiness and success, not really Maul's thing, huh? No, not really. And that's why I would probably brand this as the tragedy of Darth Maul. And like, because I really do, I feel a lot of sympathy for the guy. I mean, he's definitely a cold-blooded murderer and a dark side wielder. And so you don't see him as a very sympathetic character. But in the end, like he was taken as a child, raised in the dark side and betrayed by everybody who he ever trusted and then ends up living for revenge because he doesn't know anything else. And that's sad in a way. Yeah, so we'll get into the other thing that I think he lives for, um, which is also tangential to his revenge, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay, so on Dathomir, uh, Mother Talzin performs some magic to both restore his mind and then also to turn his six-legged um, spider legs into more traditional bipedal two legs using, interestingly, parts of um, battle droids that were destroyed in the attack on Dathomir. So he's not really human all the way, but instead of being a weird Spider-Man, he is a like humanoid type guy, right? That's right. Yeah. And and though at this time he's got kind of like claw feet and like kind of pretty awkward, like very mechanical legs. But like basically his bottom half was lost. Um, you know, when when he was cut in half by um, by Obi Wan, only basically belly button and up survived, and his legs are. I don't know, off doing something they, else, I guess. I assume they decayed. I would assume so. Okay. His legs are gone. So um, so then once he's restored, Mother Talzin kind of sends him and uh, Savage Opress out into the world. And they decide to get their revenge on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and I'm not sure if you remember this one. I think this was a, a very brief storyline of his sort of reemergence in the uh, Clone Wars. It was a couple episodes where he goes to some random planet, to some random village, and basically just holds a village hostage and starts killing innocent people to draw Obi-Wan Kenobi to him. Right, right, yeah. Because, I, I mean, he he's so mad that Obi-Wan, like, cut him in half, and, and that's what he's so focused on, instead of realizing there's other avenues for success and power within the galaxy. But, no, he's totally focused on cutting the other guy in half himself, so. That's right. And so he gets Obi-Wan to come to this planet and like Savage Opress is kind of able, able to overwhelm Obi-Wan and Maul's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill him now. Or I'm going to kill him now. We're going to fight him. Like we need to fight him honorably and kill him in a vengeance way. And Savage is kind of like, why, why don't we just, I could just kill him right now. And he's like, no, 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 brother, you don't get it. Right. Well, they end up having a big old fight and Obi-Wan escapes. Well, when you build up a moment to be something so big, the way that Maul has built up his revenge against Obi-Wan Kenobi, nothing but his perfect dream is going to satisfy him. So if he had managed to just slice down Obi-Wan Kenobi real fast, then I don't think that would have like satiated his, uh, you know, desire for revenge. No, probably not. Right. And and I mean, that's really and and I guess that becomes sort of the like the sub subtext to all of his things is that I think Sava uh, that uh, Maul could have his revenge, but because he wants it to be so perfect, he overcomplicates complicates a lot of his revenge plans. So basically, he's like every villain in Batman from like the 1960s. 
he can't just you know kill him then and there yeah that's right yeah yeah he has to he has to kill him and make him suffer and make a point and all that kind of stuff and it's really the same for kenobi and the sith because sort of he gets to a point where he wants revenge on both kenobi and then when he realizes that dooku is the new apprentice that he was abandoned and that he was now he's not part of the great the grand plan anymore the fact that he was replaced i mean i think that bothers him greatly clearly right and so he um he goes pretty hard into trying to get revenge against Sidious, um, but that's sort of the next layer of his plan. But in the meantime, so he tries to fight Kenobi. Kenobi gets away, and now Kenobi and the Jedi are aware that Maul is alive. He's not a top priority, but you know he's now on sort of the Jedi's radar. Um, and he starts this sort of just random kind of attacking things and trying to build up a new power base. And the way that he and he... He and Savage have a really interesting encounter because up till now, you know, Maul has been recovering. He's sort of been in charge and whatever, but Savage is like, why do we have to compete? Like, why can't we be equals? And then Maul kind of beats him down and is like, no, there are always two. There's a master and apprentice. I'm the master. You're the apprentice. And we are now the true Sith. And that's just deal with it. Right. And also, you know, as far as the way that goes, Maul actually was born into the force, if you will. Um, and Savage Press was given his force wielding powers through magic. And so if anyone should be the master, it should be Maul. Oh, yeah, that was totally the right choice. Yeah. Like Savage Press is physically stronger, but in every other way weaker. He's not super bright. He doesn't have like a tactical mind. He doesn't have as strong of a connection to the force. And yeah, he's dependent on his sort of like his magic steroids. Yeah, it's not like Maul's playing chess and he's playing checkers. Maul's playing chess and he's playing connect four. Yeah. 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 I would have gone with tic-tac-toe because I think it's that low, but. Same piece, is it? Yeah. Sort of like checkers? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, So they decide that they're going to build up a power base through crime because um, that that's the next thing that makes sense. Well, the only folks in the galaxy making money are these crime syndicates, so it does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so his first attempt at crime is to uh, try to take over a pirate gang, and he runs into um, another another fan favorite, Hondo Onaka. I love Hondo. We'll have to talk about him some other time. We probably need to do another. We need to do an episode on Hondo because Hondo has a, a a pretty cool story himself. But um, so he runs into Hondo's gang. He tries to take over the pirate gang, and because Hondo has sort of a work a weird working relationship with Obi Wan and Anakin. And mostly uh, Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan, right? But he um, he calls Obi-Wan for help. Obi-Wan comes and blah, blah, blah. A whole bunch of things happen. And um, Maul and Savage lose a fight to Anakin and I think Ahsoka. I, or, I mean, to Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. I don't know that Anakin is there. But they basically... Um, they get, The Jedi come and back up the pirates. And Maul and Savage... Um, take off in a shuttle, which gets blown up by Hondo's pirates, but they sort of escape in an escape pod. Uh, both of them have lost limbs. They're not in good shape. They're they're running out of air, but they're in an escape pod. And everybody assumes that they're dead, except Obi-Wan, who kind of gives one of those, like, look into the distance and says, I don't know, not so sure. Yeah, I mean, Obi-Wan, I think, has learned that you can't discount people who are strong with the dark side of the Force. Like... They never really encountered it until uh, episode one. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're they still don't know who they killed, the master or the apprentice. But they do know that, you know, the dark side of the force is out there pulling some kind of strings and not to underestimate it. 
Yeah. And and Obi-Wan runs across Maul enough times that by sort of the last time, the second to last time he has an encounter related to Maul, he gives advice to someone else and says, you better capture him because he's, he's like, I've killed him before a couple of times. Uh, he doesn't stay dead. And so Obi-Wan's starting to learn that lesson that he's not quite as dead as you would hope. Right, right. So where do we pick up Maul and whatever's left of him? So Maul and Oppress are floating around in space. And for some, somehow, some whatever, they run across, um, they, they get picked up by a shuttle of Mandalorians that are members of Death Watch. And at this oh, time... Oh, those guys. Yeah, those guys. Well, and what's interesting, because I, I, did, I did my homework on this because I forgot some of the finer points of some of these stories. But you wouldn't believe you... Okay, people listening, this may not be as... But the, the two sort of leaders of the Death Watch at the time are Pre Vizsla, which is a member of the Vizsla clan, and Bo-Katan uh, Kreese. Right. Yeah. she was. De- I forgot that she was Death Watch at the time. Yeah, that's why it was so scandalous, because her sister was running the planet. That's right. Yeah. So Bo-Katan's sister is the Duchess of Mandalore, and the Duchess is sort of a pacifist. So right at this time, Mandalore is a pacifist officially a pacifist planet they're neutral in they're, the separatists versus the republic right that's right yeah. so they're neutral in the clone war they're a pacifist planet they don't really fight anymore the sort of mandalorian warrior culture is dead except death watch which is this sort of terrorist slash fundamentalist organization that is trying to restore the mandalorian warrior way as in this is the way uh, not quite that the way because they take their helmets off, but they're like the precursors of the, this is the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think I've, I've, as a tangent, I think that's something that maybe they, they take a little bit too extreme on the Mandalorian. I think that helmet rule was perhaps a mistake. I think they could have gone with a, this is the way of just like a warrior code, but I do love the whole helmet on all the time effect, uh, on the acting and the, the whole situation in Mandalorian. Maybe we'll learn more about it in season two of The Mandalorian. Hopefully. But let's get back to Maul here. So, yeah. So, Maul gets picked up by uh, by Death Watch. They do some surgery on him. They basically convert. So, he's on his fourth set of legs now because they take his mother Talzin legs, which are sort of these claw-footed legs off, and they give him more traditional, like, prosthetic human-looking legs. So, his feet look like feet now. Um or they look like boots anyway. But um, so he's on, you know, if you think about it, he's got his birth legs and then he's got his spider legs and he's got his talzin legs. And now he's on his fourth set of legs. Um, these ones are going to stick. Uh, but he gets legs. I think Savage gets a new arm. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Because he has a he has a mechanical arm by this point, which is pretty, pretty common, I guess, in Star Wars land. Um, and um, and then, you know, he has a little bit of an encounter with with the Death Watch folks and basically says, hey, we're the true, true Sith. Uh, we want to wreak havoc on everything. And Death Watch says, well, cool, we want to take over Mandalore. And he's like, all right, that's great. We need some folks to help us. So they start recruiting uh, crime syndicates. So he goes to Mustafar, which is, if you remember, the fire planet on which Anakin and Obi-Wan have their final fight. Uh, On Mustafar, he finds the Black Sun folks. And uh, do you remember his negotiations with the Black Sun? I do not. Remind me. So he goes into the Black Sun like boardroom and the Black Sun Council's meeting and, and he's like, hey, uh, I'm Maul. This is a press. We own Death Watch. We're going to take over Mandalore. We want your help. And they're like, no. <laughs> and he's like, okay, fine. What does a press do? 
throws his lightsaber across the room and chops off all the heads except one. And then uh, Maul's like, hey, last guy standing. You want to be part of my team? And that guy's like, sure, okay. There you go. That That's how you win uh, boardroom negotiations. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Um, and he goes from there. He drops by the Pikes. And the Pikes are just like, hey, we heard what you did to Black Sun. We're in. Cool. Um, and then he goes to Nalhada, which is the home planet of the Huts. And most of the, the hut council's not there because they've kind of heard what's going on. There's one hut who's hanging around and he threatens that hut, asks where the rest of the huts are, tortures that hut, finds out they're at Jabba's palace on Tatooine, kills that hut. And then what do they do? They go to Jabba's palace, siege Jabba's palace, get the huts on board. So now they've basically got all of the major crime syndicates uh, that exist at the time. And they're using the crime syndicates, money and power as an army and start a takeover of Mandalore. Right. So what's really interesting is that we see Maul have this pull towards Mandalore. And that kind of moves forward the next couple of storylines involving Maul. That's right. Yeah, he ends up taking over. So he does this whole... This is the other thing that Maul does. He comes up with these really complicated plans. Right, so his like takeover of Mandalore involves him bringing all the crime syndicates together and then starting this underground crime wave on Mandalore and then using that as an excuse for Death Watch to try to take over political control of the planet. And then when they don't succeed, he shows up and then he gets he intentionally gets himself thrown in prison so that he can find somebody else to take over the planet. And then he finds this guy named Olmec who'd been imprisoned by the Duchess. And then he frees Olmec to install him as a puppet prime minister so that he can run the planet as a shadow leader. Right. That's just, it's too many steps. And if he was Palpatine, we would be commending him for taking every opportunity and making it work in his favor. But in Maul's situation, he tries to roll with the punches, but he never quite like manipulates it enough for him to be successful. It just propels him from the next moment to the next moment. He never really truly has a win. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is probably, you know, partly he's not quite as conniving as as Palpatine. Right, he's not focused on power, he's focused on revenge. That's, That's right, why. yeah. And and in this at this point in time, his revenge is focused mostly on trying to sort of out Sidious Sidious, right? So he kind of thinks that if he builds this crime syndicate, he can somehow disrupt the Clone War and take over the galaxy when he defeats Sidious. And then he somehow gets distracted in the middle of it and decides to take his revenge on Kenobi too. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I don't blame him for wanting revenge on Kenobi, but, you know, that distracts him from his actual mission. But, he, again, he's more focused on the revenge than the power, which is why he'll never be that successful. Yeah, that's right. And that ends up coming back to haunt him again and again and again and again. Um, so, it, while he has control of Mandalore, the Mandalorian people don't seem to really notice this all this much. And so they like the Mandalorian people don't seem to do anything about it. He's not really like oppressive to the Mandalorians. No, or anything. He, no, he's really not. And he puts, he puts the guy that he puts in charge is the prime minister that was in charge of the planet before Duchess Satine became the leader of the planet. So it was like a familiar political face. And, you know, it was kind of like going back to a moderate way before Satine's whole super duper pacifist way. And they're still not involved in the Clone War. They're not aligned either way. There's some crime on the planet, but they're mostly using it just as a base to run these cartels out of. So, 
you know, the the Mandalorian people don't seem to have a big problem with it. The Death Watch people are obviously not, you know, don't have a huge problem with it. The only thing is that his taking over the planet does fracture Death Watch. And this is where Bo-Katan splits from Pre Vizsla and the rest of them. And um, Bo-Katan uh, helps her sister escape prison. And in her brief time of freedom, Duchess Satine sends a message to Kenobi, who we find out used to be um, a Jedi protector of hers. And they may have had uh, what are the Jedi would consider an inappropriate relationship. Right, right. Yeah, they definitely had a relationship. Um, whether or not it was appropriate or inappropriate is for, you know, anyone else to decide. But it, it seems like it was very meaningful for both uh, Satine and Obi-Wan. And I, I think that, you know, that uh, remembrance of the past is why Obi-Wan always comes to Mandalore's defense. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, considering that the Jedi consider all relationships inappropriate. Yeah. Uh... Yikes. Not smart, Jedi. No, no. There should be some kind of balance. They always speak about the balance in the Force. There should be a balance that allows a relationship as well as being a Force wielder. Yeah. Anyway, moving forward with Maul. Yeah, so so Maul finds out sort of through his, you know, through his connections that that Kenobi's coming. And he knows that because Mandalore is technically a neutral planet, he's not going to come with like a whole invasion army. So Kenobi shows up alone. Um... He and Bo-Katan, uh, you know, start a fight with Death Watch and the leadership. Long story short, they all end up in the throne room of Mandalore. And um, Maul and Savage Press have Duchess Satine. They kind of captured, they've captured Kenobi. And Maul gives this whole big speech about revenge and how great it is and this and that and whatever. And then he straight up murders Satine right in front of Kenobi with using the Darksaber. Yeah, and this was one of those moments that I both gasped in surprise because we saw the Darksaber because I had previously been introduced to it in The Mandalorian, but also cried because Duchess Satine. Yeah, I mean, she was, she, she really didn't, she didn't deserve that. And he just straight up cold-blooded, like stabbed her through the heart through to the back with a with a dark saber and you know and then she has a, a brief death scene where she tells obi-wan that she's always loved him and he's you know emotional about it but he's you know in binders and he's been you know he's he's a prisoner and so then uh, at that point savage press is like cool can we kill him now and maul's like no we're gonna throw him in the dungeons i want him to suffer for 10 years like i did just thinking about how i've defeated him and killed the woman that he loved and how does that turn out for him not well not well so the act that cold-blooded act of murder is so strong in the dark side that it sends a tremor through the dark side and somebody who can feel tremors in the dark side notices this and comes to find his old apprentice oh remember yeah so Sidious turns up in one of the few scenes that we see Darth Sidious in Clone Wars and he shows up in a you know in a cloak and he just sort of wreaks havoc on Ma- on uh, Mandalore and he ba- he fights his way to the throne room and then he two on ones uh maul and oppress and he ends up killing savage oppress and defeating maul which in a in one of it's probably like the number three or four lightsaber fight right because he's got his two lightsabers 
He's fighting Savage Press fights with a double bladed lightsaber. At this point, Maul's only got a single bladed red lightsaber, but he also has the dark saber. And so you have this like very visually good fight between Maul and you know in two sabers, um, Sidious with two sabers, Savage with a double ended saber, and they're fighting indoors and outdoors, and it's a pretty pretty epic battle. And, uh, and Maul even lands like a kick on Sidious. Like he, he's not, he doesn't go down without a fight, but ultimately Sidious decides, um, he defeats him. He disarms him and he hits him with some force lightning and Maul begs him not to kill him. And Sidious is like, Oh no, I'm not going to kill you. I've got other plans for you. Oh yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great scene. That's a scene. The, the, the fight opens with, um, Sidious walks in the door and there are two guards next to the door. And just before he even walks through the door, you see the guards get force choked and thrown up against the wall. And then he walks in and he cuts the ground with his lightsabers and makes sparks and then starts the fight. And so it's very cool, very visually cool fight worth watching. Um, and so from there, he takes Maul to prison to um, like he has this private prison called Stygian Prime, um, which is a super duper, super duper duper max prison. And he throws Maul in that prison where he stays for a little while. And in, in, in a comic book series that I have not read, but I've watched like sort of a YouTube interpretation of them. There's a sort of long story short that uh, Gar Saxon, who's another Mandalorian that we meet later, he's an ally of the Empire um, and a few other Mandalorians free Maul from uh, Sidious's prison and bring him back to continue to rule Mandalore. And so that sort of continues his, his I mean, he just continues running Mandalore for a little while until um, season seven of Clone Wars and the Siege of Mandalore. Right. And so we haven't really talked about season seven, but it really does take us all the way through... Um, basically the end of episode three so you know we we thought we were getting right up to everything there's the the time when order 66 is issued and and we do see maul at that point too that's right and i think we're probably going to do a whole other show on season seven and the parallels and sort of run it up against episode three so just um without spoiling a ton um maul still on mandalore then some things happen and then Ahsoka turns up and then some things happen and then Maul ends up escaping into the void. Um, sort of in the middle of it, he he tells the uh, rest of the crime syndicates to the leadership to go into hiding because he senses that the galaxy is about to change and he wants to take advantage of it on the, on the flip side. But he said, for right now, go into hiding. We're not really sure what's going to happen. I'll let you know when to emerge. And one of the leaders of a crime syndicate that we haven't seen before is none other than Dryden Voss of uh, the Crimson Dawn. Right. And so, like, I was wondering, and we, we can definitely talk about it more when we get to season seven, but um, as Maul escapes, there, he's got a couple of allies. And one of them is this female ally. And it makes me wonder, is it uh, Kira? Yeah, that very well could be Kira. Interesting. Right? Running that shuttle? Because that would probably, that would be a, a maybe about the right time. Might be a little bit early. It would but be it, a little early. But it but... would probably be a time where she would be like running a shuttle. Like she could be a shuttle pilot at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She could be. Yeah. So anyway, he um, he manages to escape. And then sort of the next time we see him is a few years later. So after the Empire has been established 
Um, evidently, he's been running Crimson Dawn, um, and it, 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 it's not clear if he still has control of the Pikes um, and the uh, the Black Sun syndicates. He definitely has lost control of the Huts at this point. But he's running some crime. He's running some crime syndicates right up through the time that um, the movie Solo was made, because he has his shocking cameo appearance at the very end of Solo, revealing himself to be the leader of Crimson Dawn. Right. And where are we then? About eight or nine BBY? Yeah, thereabouts. Some, yeah. Something like something that. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So he he's been kind of flying under the radar, amassing power and wealth without tipping off the Emperor right. or Vader. That's right. And because at this point, right, from his perspective, he has realized that he can no longer defeat the Sith, right? His last chance to defeat the Sith was before the end of the Clone Wars, and he missed his window, so he knows he can't beat them. By all accounts, Kenobi is dead, so his chance at revenge on Kenobi is over because Kenobi theoretically died in Order 66. And so he really has nothing else to do except try to amass what power he can and um, an influence that he can as a crime lord because he really has nothing else to live for at this point. And so that's sort of what he's up to. Right. And at some point, something changes in which he either stops being this crime lord or his he's either overthrown or, or crime syndicates wind up not being the thing. You know, the emperor puts a kibosh on it, but it doesn't really seem that way based on what we see with the huts. But uh, we run into him again in Rebels. That's right. So the next time we see Maul, he turns up on a planet called Malachor, which was one of the original Sith homeworlds. And from the way that he describes his last few years, he had gone to Malachor for some reason, his ship crashed, and he was unable to leave. And he had been marooned on Malachor for some time, just, you know, kind of hanging out right next to a giant, giant underground Sith temple. Right, which doesn't help with his mental health. No, he's a little crazy again. Um, and he really doesn't know what he's after. And I really do. This is one of, one of my favorite scenes in the sort of animated content. And I know that I have asked you, you would say I made you. <laughs> I would say I've asked you to watch this scene several times. But do you remember the scene where he first meets Ezra Bridger? I think so. Right. So Ezra and his crew. And so it's Ezra, Kanan, and Ahsoka. Um through a whole bunch of things, including a visit to a Jedi temple and um, some information from Master Yoda, who is still alive at this point, talks to them through the Force and tells them to go to Malachor where they'll find the answers that they seek. Um, and so they show up and, and there's some, you know, kind of shenanigans. There's an Inquisitor, which are these uh, Jedi hunting agents of the Empire uh, that exist in, in Rebels. Just and, to finish up Order 66. That's right. Yeah. Um, and most of them are kind of fallen Jedi or, or other force wielders that survived Order 66. And Ezra gets separated from the group and he runs into this to, to, to Maul, um, you know, underground near this Sith, this Sith planet. And, and the way that Maul and Ezra's dialogue, I feel like it strongly parallels Yoda and Luke's first meeting. It does, but it also reminds me of Aladdin and Jafar. But <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, that too. And Ezra's got a very strong Aladdin vibe. Definitely. And Maul has a very strong old man Jafar vibe. That's true. So. Yeah. But but just the way that he kind of says, you know, like Ezra comes up to him with a lightsaber and he's like, put away your weapon. I don't I mean, you know, harm. Right. And then, 
you know, he's kind of goofy and laughs and ch- he's laughing at his own jokes that Ezra doesn't get. And then, you know, um, he doesn't reveal who exactly he is. He just says, call me old master. Right. And um, well, that's because this is the second theme that I was talking about is that Maul desperately wants to be a master and have his own apprentice. So he has that briefly with his brother, but it's kind of like forced. But this he's like, now I get to pick my apprentice and he thinks he's picking Ezra. And, you know, we haven't talked about rebels and and we will. But Ezra is at this point in his uh, quote unquote career too stupid to know better. Um, And so he's strong enough with the force to be a very appealing apprentice, but too stupid to know that this is the wrong master for him. That's right. Yeah. And he's got a little bit of anger and he's he is a, a, a candidate for turning to the dark side by 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 a long shot. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so and and that's actually what Maul Maul kind of starts to tap into that. And he uses the fact that in order to enter the Sith Temple, you have to be a master and apprentice. So they go through this whole thing and they get into the Sith Temple and they find out that at the heart of the Sith Temple, there is a Sith holocron. And so. Ezra assumes that the Sith holocron carries secrets of the Sith that will help him defeat the Sith, and that's why Yoda sent them there. Why Yoda sent them there, I'm not really clear, actually. It doesn't make a, a ton of sense. They don't really they don't really come out in a way that I think Yoda would consider to be fortuitous. I have my own theory, but we'll get to it in just a minute. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in that episode. It's one of the, it is one of probably... I keep saying top things, but this is probably one of like the top 10 sort of episodes in all of the, at least the animated content is that, uh, is that whole episode on Malachor? Right. So, you know, there's a series of trickery that goes on and ultimately uh, Maul blinds Kanan Jarrus and it is very deceptive. It is very thoughtful the way that he goes through it, but you know, yeah, he uh, basically blinds him with his lightsaber and I think the reason Yoda sent them there is because Kanan Jarrus doesn't truly learn to see the rebellion and the force until he loses his sight. And I think that's why Yoda sent him there. Oh, that's deep. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about rebels, but we're on Maul tonight. Yeah. So Maul, so like the whole reason that Maul went to Malachor in the first place and the whole reason he needs Ezra at this point is that it turns out that this Sith, that this Sith temple is also like some sort of doomsday weapon and can destroy either all life in the galaxy or all Sith life in the galaxy or all something. But basically, if you can get the holocron and you can place it in some obelisk at the top of the pyramid, then you can activate a weapon that can allow you to destroy whatever it is you want to destroy. And at this point, he wants to use this, this to destroy uh, Sidious and whoever Sidious's apprentice might be at this point, which of course is Darth Vader, right? And so, and or destroy all life in the galaxy just to get his revenge on everybody, make sure it's complete. It's not really clear what he's up to. Maul he, would be fine destroying all life in the galaxy if he got his revenge at Sidious at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And so whatever it is, he wants to get that thing turned on and get uh, some sort of doomsday effect going on. And he almost accomplishes it. Like he gets very, very close and it's only through blinded Kane and Jarrus and Ezra together pulling the holocron out of the temple and Darth Vader and Ahsoka having a fight and all this other stuff and then Maul just sneaks off and escapes in a TIE fighter because that's kind of his jam um and that you know, this plan doesn't work out but this is another yet another elaborate revenge plan 
where he spent multiple years marooned on Malachor just to happenstance run into this Jedi kid and try to turn him and activate this super weapon. And then it all falls apart on him. And as usual, he manages to escape and nobody's really clear if he's still alive. Yeah, and I think because every time Maul escapes, there's always something far more pressing than Maul. So he kind of just goes to the back burner. Yeah, and and in this case, he really just doesn't do anything for a while. Um, he flits around, and then he starts sort of popping in through the Force into Ezra's visions, and he somehow discovers that the... Jedi and Kanan Jarrus in particular has a light side holocron. He has a dark side holocron, or that Ezra now has a dark side holocron. And if you put the two holocrons together, you can unlock like infinite wisdom. And basically you can ask the, you can ask the force one question. And the force has to tell the truth. Yeah. It's a magic eight ball of situation. Yeah. 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 And this is confirmed through, um, again, stuff we'll talk about in Rebels, the Bendu, who is a pretty cool little side character. The Bendu confirms this with everybody. And so Maul comes back and he basically, he gets to Ezra and he says, hey, look, I want to do this merging of the holocrons with you. And we'll both get the answers that we seek. And the answer you want is how to destroy the Sith. And he's not really clear on what the answer he seeks, but somehow through some interactions with the force and with Ezra, he starts to get the idea that Kenobi might still be alive. And he decides that he wants to get his revenge on Kenobi. Right. And, and through some of this very ironic O. Henry style uh, mind meld situation that they have going on, Ezra gets the answers that uh, Maul wants and Maul gets the answers that Ezra wants. And of course, Maul is going to manipulate the situation far better than Ezra is. That's right. And so Ezra, um, you know, his kind of mind is buzzing because he still isn't quite sure how to beat the Sith, but he starts to get the idea that Kenobi's alive and that Kenobi is the key. And Maul starts to get the idea that Kenobi's alive. And so they get together. So Maul convinces Ezra to come with him to Dathomir and do some like last bit of magic that's left on Dathomir because all the Dathomir witches are dead, but some of their powers remain. And the planet's still, like, super magical. The planet's super magical, and the uh, spirit altar is, still exists. And so um, they do a ritual together to try to, like, basically do a mind meld so they can each see the other part of the other guy's part of the vision and try to put the vision together. And so they do the mind meld, and they both get the answers that they seek, and then some weird stuff happens, etc., etc. Uh, this is how Sabine ends up back with the Darksaber for reasons that we'll talk about when we talk about Maul and more of the story of Mandalore. Um, Maul gets away again, as usual. Um, Ezra gets away again with his buddies. And uh, then the next time we see them, Maul has basically gone. He he gets through the vision that it's a planet with twin suns. And he leads himself to Tatooine. Which is interesting because we wind up learning that there are several planets within the galaxy far, far away that have twin suns. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of process of elimination, feeling the force that kind of thing leads him to Tatooine. yeah just from a straight up astronomy standpoint in our galaxy here here and now okay <laughs> um, and not far far away um we there's actually there are more twin sun star systems than there are single star systems interesting yes so our solar system is actually a, like a minority most of the star systems are binary or trinary systems and so it would not be uncommon for a planet to have twin suns from a galactic perspective, but you know, whatever. Anyway, 
Maul finds himself on Tatooine looking for Obi-Wan, can't find him. Again, comes up with an elaborate plan to lure Ezra there to somehow draw out Kenobi. Well, because he's so focused on revenge, he could have just realized and felt through the force that Luke was there and he could have taken Luke before Obi-Wan got to him. That's right. But and whatever, that's when, fine. Yeah, and this is... Because Ezra and Luke are the same age. This is, yeah, Ezra and Luke are the same age. And so this is what probably at this point we're like maybe five or six. Three or four BBY, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And um, and so Ezra turns up, he has a, a whole deal in the desert, gets rescued by Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan tells him he shouldn't be here and, you know, many things have changed. And in this episode of Rebels called Twin Sons, um, eventually Obi-Wan tries to steer Ezra back onto his path. And then Maul uh, finds Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan basically says, hey, Ezra, uh, jump on my dewback and go home. I'll take care of this. Um, in a very similar, I'm trying to remember, what is the, what's the one where, oh, it's actually the first time that we see Maul, right? The very, very first time that we meet Maul, right? We're in a hangar um, on, in the city of Theed on the planet Naboo, right? And um, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon have kind of snuck back onto the planet with uh, Padme Amidala and her kind of group of pilots and, uh, and security folks. And they're running through the hangar and a door opens up and there's Maul and, and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon just say, we'll handle this. And Padme says, we'll go the other way. In a very interesting, like, bring it all the way around parallel, Obi-Wan kind of says, I'll handle this. You get out of here. And Maul just ignores Ezra and lets him leave. And then they have what is the most interesting lightsaber fight in the whole series. It's the final fight. They set it up. It's very dramatic. Obi-Wan does his sort of two-finger point thing. Maul gets ready. They have about three blade crosses. And then Maul tries to use the same move that he used to kill Qui-Gon, where he pops him in the face with the hilt of his lightsaber. Obi-Wan knows it's coming, does a forehand swing, cuts him right down the chest. Oh, yeah. He kills Maul in like three seconds, right? And the whole time that Ezra's there and Maul's there, Obi-Wan's kind of, he's because he's old now and he's been meditating in the desert for a decade and he was supposed to just be looking after Luke and he's not supposed to be violent anymore and he's sort of disappointed that he has to fight again. And um, he kind of tells Ezra, you need to go. Uh, I'm going to take care of this. And then Maul shows up and he's like kind of, I don't really want to do this, but I but I have to pray. Because Maul knows, at this point, Maul does notice that Luke's on the planet. And so Obi-Wan's like, well, now I got to kill you. And he just he just dispatches him very quickly. And then as Maul dies in Obi-Wan's arms, he says, are you protecting the Chosen One? And Obi-Wan says, I am. And he says, great, then we'll have our revenge. And then he dies. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, ironically... Luke is not the chosen one. Anakin really was the chosen one. But Maul dies believing that Obi-Wan, the guy that he wanted revenge on, is ultimately going to cause the revenge on the Sith that he ultimately wanted and then dies at that. And then Obi-Wan buries his nemesis, or he bur- he burns him on a funeral pyre in honor of, of this guy who has caused him so much trouble over the decades but has been a worthy opponent um, in a very Obi-Wan honorific sort of thing. And that's the end of the story of Maul. Right. So since we sometimes talk about love and relationships on this podcast when we're not mostly talking about Star Wars, 
do you think that if Maul had any love or any relationships in his life that maybe he wouldn't have been so focused on revenge? Probably. I mean, he does have a pretty, he has a pretty tight relationship with his brother, um, especially at the very beginning. And then when it turns into him trying to dominate his brother, then things kind of go wrong. Yeah. Um, and but, he's got an interesting relationship, I would say, with Ezra in trying to create this master apprentice relationship. Um, but he's like, with with that, it's still you know, tangential to his desire to have revenge. Yeah, and I think that he has genuine affection for Ezra. I mean, there are several times where he goes out of his way to save Ezra's life that he really doesn't have to, and not just for the purpose of getting him as an apprentice, but as a. It, it does seem like. He actually does, you know, have some sort of like genuine feeling of, of I don't know. A, it's not really like a fight. It's more like an uncle kind of vibe, right? For it Ezra. is an uncle vibe. Yeah. Right? And um, and I think that even in the times when he's using Ezra, he doesn't intentionally mean to cause him harm. Like Maul is not above harming people straight up and murdering them and whatever. Right. And he he feels no he feels no grief for that. But he doesn't seem that he actually wants to harm Ezra. He legitimately wants to see Ezra become all that he can be. And he thinks that that includes a, a touch of the dark side and, and becoming his apprentice and becoming a tool for revenge for sure. But he does seem like he doesn't really hate Ezra. He doesn't even really hate Kanan Jarrus. He just sort of, you know. Kanan gets in his way. That's right. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly if uh, Mother Talzin had hugged him. Now, I do think that Mother <laughs> Talzin uh, ha- has has quite an affiliation, like uh, an affinity for him as well. And she takes pretty good care of him in her own weird way in that she brings him back from the dead at least a couple times. Right, right. And, and that's a problem, though. From everything we know about zombies, we know that like they usually are a little bit messed up. So, yeah. Yeah, so it, maybe she should have just let him be. Maybe, right? Or no, helped a, him find peace, but instead she always warped him into the tools she needed. Yeah, which was kind of her, that's on brand for her. Yeah, definitely on brand for her. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he really doesn't have a lot of positive relationships in his life. Um, he has a lot of people using him and as a result, him using other people. And it certainly comes from a lifetime of being raised as a Sith warrior. I think in some of the uh, comic book based legends canon, he was even brought to some like kind of Sith Jedi battle sites and forced by Sidious to meditate on the death of the Sith to like grow his hatred for the Jedi. And so he's got, he's had some rough stuff in his childhood. Right. And I think that's what makes his story so tragic. He's actually, it, in a weird way for one of the darkest characters in the series, he's a very compassionate person. Um, when, when he feels that compassion is warranted, he's, he is very dominating with his brother, but feels a lot of compassion for what happened to Savage press. He feels compassion for what happened to Ezra Bridger in his life. He even feels it to some extent for Kenobi, even though he wants to kill him. He has empathy, at least, for Kenobi's position. He uses that as part of his revenge plan. But he, like, he understands these things. He's he's a very thoughtful person. Um, he thinks through his strategies. And just the fact that all of that could have been used for good. Um, yeah, well, we get a very brief glimmer of it in Season 7 of The Clone Wars with his interactions with Ahsoka, where he starts figuring out everything, and then he realizes Ahsoka doesn't know what he knows, and he feels sympathy and pity for her for not knowing, and then, you know, trying to figure out 
how do they work together and she wants no part of it so you know that that's where things kind of go off the rails but um he's always actually looking for that relationship he's he truly actually isn't a really good sith he's not focused on power he he doesn't really care about that that much um he, he really does want a buddy yeah yeah so. he really does and the other interesting thing about him is that he always he almost always tells the truth sometimes it's a, a little bit of a certain point of view sort of truth right but yeah he, he and dooku have that in common that's right yeah, where, I mean, he straight up tells Ahsoka the, like, kind of the secret of the Sith plan. He tells Ezra quite a bit about, you know, the dark side and power and, and things like that. He tells, I mean, he even tells Obi-Wan some things from time to time. And he has this sort of Cassandra effect, which, uh, where he tells people the truth and no one believes him because they assume that he's lying to them when he actually isn't. Like, he's just, he, he straight up tells people the truth. And he tries to explain why he's doing the things he's doing and sort of the the medium, like the neutral and bad guy people all side with him and the good guys all assume that he's lying and they don't hear him out for what he's telling them is true in front of their faces. And I think that's probably an interesting just lesson about sort of the good guys and the Jedi of um, Star Wars is that they are so strong in their ideals that when somebody who doesn't agree with them tells them something they don't want to hear, they just assume it's a lie. Right. So where do we go from here? Maul's so, dead. Maul is, yeah. And Maul's dead and he's not coming back. And anybody who reads on Twitter that uh, anybody playing Maul is going to show up in season two of The Mandalorian, it's it's fake. There are a lot of rumors running around about season two of The Mandalorian. Many of them are true. Maul will not be in season two of The Mandalorian. He's super duper dead now. Um, and all the pity because he's such an interesting character. And we've devoted an, you know, an hour long episode here to talking about him. And, and I think that begins to do him justice. But um, but yeah, so I don't know. We've We've got a whole bunch of other things we can cover. We can start talking about Rebels. We can certainly talk about season seven of The Clone Wars. I think that's got its own show. Um, and there are several other characters I think we'll give a similar treatment to, just like we gave Maul, that have stories that span multiple media um, and are really interesting in the way that they've stitched together all these different parts of the Star Wars story. I, I agree. I, I think it's really important just because of how fresh it is. Uh, we need to talk about season seven of the Clone Wars in more detail. So maybe that's going to be us next week. But I am looking forward to talking about Hondo. He cracks me up every time. Um, it, it's nice to have comic relief that's not a droid. So uh, may, maybe we'll uh, get get into Hondo sometime in the near future. Yeah, that sounds great. I hope one day... Someday, someday, we can uh, actually travel again, and we can go visit Bat Batu, and we can meet Hondo. Really? Yeah, he is. Yeah, Hondo is. is so the um, the Millennium Falcon uh, ride experience. Okay. Uh, at the time, um, you are working for Hondo. Really. Smuggling on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. All right. He's a character in that in that in that piece of uh, Batu trivia. Very exciting. Yep. Right. I love you. I know. <laughs>